0: Well, as you guys know, all of you know, um, Dr. Owen Strand is uh, a faithful member of our church, a instru- an instructor out at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is a scholar and a scholar-scholar, one of the most well-read and widely-read people that I know, uh, and has been teaching over the last couple months on um, men's and women's roles, uh, biblically-defined um, and I thought th- this morning we were just going to have a conversation. I've anticipated and heard many of your um, questions, catalog those, and we're going to talk about those. But hopefully it's going to be as much as just a conversation as, um, as uh, your ordination or anything like that. Yeah. Um, some of you were here for some and some for all of it. Um, the first thing I want to do is, do you want to make fun of me about something? I do. Okay. This is, this is
1: good. I would. This is important. Uh, your sock yes. um, pant pairing here? It was bad. Just to, I mean, talk about gentleman yeah. fashion, you know?
0: We were talking about this in the front row. I have a Navy suit on, and I put on what I thought were Navy socks that complemented it, but they're more like royal socks. Um, but they're close enough that it doesn't look like I'm trying hard enough to have cool, crazy socks. Right. They just don't match.
1: They don't match, so, so no points for that. But you do have two-tone shoes on, so I'm, I'm do, digging those. I do. I do have
0: uh, two-tone <laughs> shoes. That's
1: pretty serious. <laughs> um, Get your preacher shoes.
0: The shoes will work. The socks are going to have to socks. Yeah.
1: Fail. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we should close in prayer right so now. So let's be honest. Just
1: let's just be honest.
0: <laughs> so if I do this, everybody will know. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, high altitude. Two words that you used extensively throughout the series, defined at the beginning. But um, constantly need to be reiterated and refined in our thinking. Um, you'll see them. You've heard them. Uh, Complementarianism and egalitarianism. Two big uh, kind mm. of uh, fork in the road words. If, if someone were not here for the series, how would you explain those two ideas?
1: Yeah, and thank you for the opportunity to be up here again and and teach. Appreciate that from you and the pastors and the elders. really means a lot. Um, Complementarity is the view that the sexes are made by God. They are equally bearing the image of God. Uh, So men and women alike have infinite dignity, worth, and potential, but that God has also Built in order into his creation. This is true not just in the area of the sexes, but in all of creation. God has ordered the world comprehensively, and we see some of that order in terms of men being called to be the head of the home and the key leaders in the church, and we see women being called to submit to that leadership in both the home and the church. And so that's a baseline for understanding distinct roles within a complementarian framework. Of course, that bleeds over to some degree into society, although we don't have as, as clear a mandate there in the New Testament, for example, Though, though we have some things to say. And then egalitarianism, is another view held among evangelicals, and it's the view that agreeing with complementarity, men and women are equally image bearers, but that then there are not really any distinct roles that men fill and women fill. Uh, Men are not called distinctly in an egalitarian framework to be the pastor of the church, the elder of the church. Men and women alike can be the pastor or elder of the church and in the home. uh, You know, there's variance among egalitarians, but, uh, but a lot of them would say in the home, Uh, Again, a man and a woman share leadership. Uh, They would go to a text like Galatians 3, 27 to 28, and they would say, see, when Paul is talking about justification in Christ, he's saying there's neither male nor female. And they would take that to mean, trying to understand them rightly, you know, They would take that to mean those uh, distinctions, those role distinctions have gone away in Jesus. So there used to be those things, a a patriarchal Greco-Roman culture upheld those things, but now in Jesus, all those kind of roles have fallen away. Someone like you or, or I would say, well, our most important marker as a Christian is Christ, justification by faith. That's what marks us off as a believer, and yet... It would seem to render much of the New Testament meaningless for Paul to there be teaching in Galatians that there are no distinctions, whereas in Ephesians he's teaching that there definitely are distinctions in terms of roles.
0: Um, is that clear? Does anyone want him to elaborate any more? This has is, this is become, has become, and is becoming... A watershed issue in our day this is this used to be a few churches, liberal churches operating in the corners of Methodism, who had uh, women uh, uh, preachers and rectors, but it's becoming more mainline in evangelicalism yes i just want to I want to ask you to kind of speculate and postulate why is this becoming such a problem in churches with people that you and I respect sometimes
1: yeah. Yeah, there's a real emphasis, even if a church is not formally egalitarian, there's a real pressure, I think, that a lot of churches and a lot of leaders feel to show, per our secular culture, that even if they hold to men, for example, being the pastor and the elder of the church, they're not anti-woman. Right. Um, we need to say some things there because, frankly, we have seen a major cultural uh, movement kick up, the Me Too movement that has exposed some real issues, uh, both in our secular world and even in our church world to some degree. So we want to be honest about these things. We're not scared to own, uh, you know, to own reality about what's happened. And Mistakes and have been made. Mistakes have been Sins made. Sins
0: have been committed, no question.
1: That's true. And so we want to be honest about that. At the same time, even as we're seeking to be honest about failings and shortcomings, you know, as we examine ourselves, and no one's going to be perfect here, no church is going to be perfect, no body of elders is going to be perfect, et cetera, and so on, we also need to make clear that the culture doesn't drive our theological form- formation. That's uh, we, critical. Yeah.
0: So, uh, talk about that for a minute. How? Yeah. Um, if you re- reverse the the tape to you know uh, leave it to Beaver era 1950s, where there were very clearly culturally understood roles. Yeah. Um, and the biblical roles were easy in, in, in that culture. Yeah. The culture going a different direction now. And uh, talk for a minute about how the church that holds to a complementarian view is going to progressively look in a culture that's going fast the other way.
1: That is so true. Here, here's how I could sum up. I think it used to be the case that you got bonus points for wanting to be a man if you're a boy or a man and wanting to be a woman if you're a girl or a woman. You, you were rewarded in even a cultural, societal sense. That's what the vast majority of people wanted to be and how they wanted to live. Today, the instinct goes the opposite way, as you say. You're actually rewarded uh, among the younger generation, for example, in junior high, high school, college, that sort of 20-somethings. You actually look cool and you stand out if you're bending your gender, if you're not conforming uh, if, you, if you're kind of transgressing to some degree what it looks like to be a, a, a boy or a girl and you're going the opposite way, that means for churches that we have a lot more work to do than we used to have. We used to do a little bit of outsourcing on these, these kind of issues. In other words, you could trust, let's say you're a genuine believer, you're, uh, you know, you're a husband and wife team. You could trust that if you're sending your 10-year-old to Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or playing Little League or whatever it may be, going to school, you could trust in a general way, uh, not absolutely, but that your kids were going to be more or less trained in a kind of moral framework and, and there wouldn't be, you know, wild things that your kid would pick up in Little League or Boy Scouts or something like this. Today, it's the opposite. I mean, today, I've heard recently about Teachers who have been disciplined upon threat of losing their job, Rick, not for saying uh, biblically, this is what a man is and this is what a woman is, not that, but simply referring to their kids as boys and girls, their students as boys and girls. So using the language mm-hmm. of, good morning, boys and girls, here's what we're learning. That language, not, not in a kind of, you know, hard sense what we're talking about, just using the framework <laughs> Just adhering to a fixed understanding in some form of boyhood and girlhood and beyond that manhood and womanhood is enough today to potentially cost you your job and that's true not just in the education realm that's increasingly true in business you are some of you are feeling this squeeze even now that's true in the medical world some of you are feeling the squeeze even now that's true in the legal world um, we, we just in Prairie Village had a, uh, effectively a SOGI law a SOGI non-discrimination ordinance passed uh, so now it's in effect mm-hmm. and technically a conversation like this, I guess we're, we're in a religious place, but, you know. It's just
0: protected now, but may not be in the future.
1: Protected now, <clears throat> temporarily. But if we were to go have this at Starbucks right over here, and somebody listening felt like that was a that was a impinging them, their yes. freedom, you and I could be in big trouble uh, now. And people in this congregation are going to feel this more and more and more. And it's, it's very sobering.
0: Where do you see the... Um Where do you think the bigger problem is? Is it, um, and I'm talking really pragmatically, and this will have some parenting questions we're going to get to in a moment. Do you think that where we are going, forget society, we know that it's the prince of the power of the air, we shouldn't expect that they're going to roll over on biblical terms. But in the church and among Christians, do you think the biggest problem is a failure to train men to be men, therefore women are... Are, are assuming those roles, or is it a failure to train women to be women and mm-hmm. them misunderstanding? Is there, is there a 50 50 sure. um, culpability on our part? How do, which will go to how do we move forward in recapturing a biblical vision?
1: Wow. Um.
0: And I know that's opinion in some sense. Yeah. Uh, and you're someone who has uh, uh, yeah. children of, of both sexes. That's so right. So that's um, something you're thinking about, I'm sure.
1: I, what. Um, what Ga- Gavin Peacock is a former Premier League football player, soccer player we would say, and he and I wrote a book called The Grand Design on Exactly mm-hmm. These Matters just a short little book, and Gavin in the writing of this book outlined the instinct that you and I are talking about here among churches now, we're not talking about the culture and it's he called it the egalitarian instinct so, because of Uh, feminism third wave feminism we would call it in the 1960s we're in the fourth wave which began about 20 years ago in the pacific northwest with riot girl culture and this sort of thing but third wave feminism is the 1960s it's a reaction to the kind of leave it to beaver Mm -hmm. household right so third wave feminism is what really sweeps over america in the 70s and the 80s and absolutely transforms the American home and has major effect on even institutions like the church. And as a result of that, that influence, we find ourselves, a lot of us, with an instinct to be as egalitarian as possible when it comes to these things, whereas I would say, Rick, that the Bible breeds in us the desire to be as complementarian as possible. So not to say, in other words, and I said this in the class, but not to say, okay, this is what the Bible teaches about husband being the head of his wife or wife submitting to her husband. Okay, I'm going to technically underline that and check that box, but then how much can I not buy into that spirit? Okay, you know, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about a man not having the hair of a, of a woman, frankly, which is a very interesting thing to talk about today, right? Because men all over the place are not agreeing with that. They're not buying into that, even in the church. I, I see it even at Midwestern Seminary, a Southern Baptist conservative evangelical school. In a lot of cases, those young men haven't been trained. They haven't been taught about this because a lot of churches go away from the controversial things and, and they more try to just focus on meeting people where they are and not causing a fuss. But if scripture is not only true, but has authority, functional authority for our lives, then a text like 1 Corinthians 11, we're really diving in here at 848, aren't we? A text like 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 16, is going to mean that we're not going to say, how much can I not obey Paul? We're going to say, if Paul is calling us to look distinctive to the, to the strongest degree we can, there's some, you know, there's some limitations with how long we can grow our hair or something in different seasons of life as a woman. But uh, our instinct is not to say, how, how, how can I not obey what Paul's saying? Whoa, the culture is not going to like this. My peers are not going to reward this. This is not going to be popular. It's not going to be easy to make friends. We're, we're called by the grace of God in us to say, how close to the mark can I get? Yeah. How obedient to God can I be? Grace does not create freedom for the Christian in the sense that we technically are a believer, but now we don't have to do much because we're saved by grace through faith. Grace, divine grace, working in our heart, creates not merely a moment of salvation where we cross the line and we trust that Jesus died a bloody, wrath-absorbing death on the cross to forgive us and then rose from the grave to give us life. We have that moment. That's the moment when we pass from darkness to life. But now our whole life is a life of obedience. So we're saying anytime we're in the Bible and there's a positive teaching in the New Covenant especially, uh, we're, we're saying, how, how obedient can I be to this text? And that matters in all sorts of ways for these issues. Mm-hmm. Where I'm not saying how minimally complementarian can I be. How minimally manly can I be or womanly can I be? Uh, I'm saying how much of a godly man, how much of a godly woman to glorify God and image his order in the world. All this to say, Rick, I would say that men have been massively impacted by a feminist culture and a God-denying culture, and so have women.
0: Yeah, said another way, kind of summarizing, the culture has seeped into the church where that we're, we're not training men to be Leaders and, and knowers and peop, men who are followable, and we are not. Yes. Not encouraging women into the roles of helper and right and uh, and that the home is precious and priceless. Right. Uh, you know, there's so much to this. I was having a conversation recently with someone who was basically saying, "Well, you know, as a woman who I'm smart, gifted, and she was smart, gifted, all of the above, more than me." Um, and why would I, this was, the, this was the word, why would I waste that training and gifting on just a few people who live at my house? Hmm. What a, an upside-down theological response that is to those precious gifts of the children wow. who someone is going to raise, right? Yes. You or the daycare or the, totally. uh, the, 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 the grandmother, the cousin, the neighbor, but God has called. That, that, that is not a demeaning role to say that a woman has been given that amazing gift of influence. And so it comes when you're trained, now shifting into parenting. So yes. we're, we're, we're raising, just, just a quick survey. How many of you have children who are high school or younger right now? Raise your hand. Wow. So we are raising children in this culture and in this church to think counterintuitively In in a significant way, Um, you're thinking about this every day at home, with with a a, a boy and two girls. That's right. So swimming upstream, what are some just practical ways that you're thinking about this and training this? It's not one lesson after dinner and you're done. Right. These are patterns of thinking that you're trying to instill into your children. How's that working out? What do you think?
1: Yeah, and we're Bethany and I are um, not. We don't have it all figured out. We're trying to grow as fa- uh, father and mother. We're uh, the Lord is working on us and occasioning repentance and confession as we don't get it all right along the way. We sin against the Lord and have a lot to work on in our marriage, and then also as a father and mother. But fundamentally we are not setting out, again, to be like the world. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to make kids who are cool or to make kids who, you know, fit in with their peers in a secular environment. We're not trying to raise raise our children to be weird. You know, that's not the end goal. Um, But, uh, so we're not, you know. We want them to be normal, happy, fun-loving, God-glorifying, authority-following children. And there's a whole conversation to have about, you know, authority and discipline, sure. and, and that's collapsed in a lot of circles, including even in some Christian circles. So we got to talk about that at some point. But fundamentally, I'm trying to—Bethany to, and I are trying to model, right, these things. So we're trying to model a, an Ephesians 5 marriage, which I'm trying to be a Christ-like head of the home, a provider, a protector, a leader— That manifests in different ways that we talked some about during the class. You know, I'm trying to lead the family spiritually, so opening scripture or a devotional book or something like this and leading my family in that or leading in prayer and these kind of things. And I've been doing devotions, um, targeting one or two nights a week with the kids that I lead. And uh, we've been reading Narnia. I think Narnia technically counts as half a devotional, so we're doing that. (laughs) We're in in, um, the silver chair. So, seriously, there's a lot of good stuff in sure. it. You know, not everything, but there's a lot of good stuff that C.S. Lewis has to say. Bethany is modeling, I think, trying to model what it looks like to be a godly woman to the girls. So, just, just yesterday, one of the girls uh, was saying to me, I, I want to be a mommy, like mom, you know. And, and we, that wasn't because I was whispering that in her ear subversively or something, you know. <laughs> She's watching Bethany joyfully live out, you know, a, a Proverbs 31 Titus 2 kind of calling. Bethany is a, a homemaker and a child raiser. She sees that as her, her real call before the Lord with these young kids in the home that may change and flex as the kids get older and there's some gray areas that sure. we can talk about. But that's her, that's her fundamental calling from the Lord. And, and she's not, we're not trying to do these duties and fill these roles in a grim, unsmiling way. I want to be a happy Christ-like head. Bethany wants to be a joyful homemaker and helper to me and these kind of things and so hopefully all this to say rick uh, you're well ahead of me you've raised three sons who know the lord so that's that's my end goal Um, but uh, hopefully we're teaching the truth we're living according to the truth and again we're doing it in a way that gives the aroma of christ that communicates that this isn't just right it is right but it's also good and it's joy giving
0: let me take with the straw men. Uh, the, uh, some people would accuse our theological perspective, um, convictions, and even our church, even perhaps you personally. I've certainly been accused of this. As well, a, a girl, a female, should never go to college, never get a master's or a doctorate, never ever uh, pursue education. That's only for the men. Mm. I know that that's not what you believe. Just yeah. on the record, yeah. that you're not saying that, or we're not saying that that women have to be the proverbial barefoot, pregnant, and uneducated.
1: Right. And this idea that, you know, um, a woman, you know, wouldn't be gifted or would only be using her gifts, you know, if she's in the secular marketplace or something like this is crazy. So I'm, I didn't marry Bethany because she was unthoughtful, ungodly, and ungifted. Um, like <laughs> basically every complementarian man I know, I was praying for a godly, gifted in the ways the Lord had for her, Fundamentally, biblically obedient woman, um, but I was hoping, you know, how much to say, what's going to be communicated to my wife who's serving in childcare right now after this, because uh, I'll hear about it in the car a little bit. Um, uh, but that happens to you too. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> but I mean, I was praying for I don't know, a gifted woman, a, a fun woman, a thoughtful woman, a smart woman, a, a beautiful girl, and you know, and so that's what the Lord gave me. Um, I wasn't praying for not those things. Sure. And Bethany was; uh, she's the daughter of a theologian. Um, she she's very sharp theologically. I wanted that; that was a draw for me. She went educated, to, very educated. Went to Moody. Was recommended by her theology professor to go do a PhD in theology at Wheaton. Was also recommended to do uh, the Wheaton Conservatory in terms of piano. So this is a woman who is gifted, and I was drawn to that. Uh, um, and that's, I'm trying to raise my two little girls to use their minds, and we're trying to develop their creative abilities, and um, if Ella or Ainsley, you know, ends up being in any number of different fields, mm-hmm. if God has that for them as a, for example, a single woman, we're, we're going we're gonna to encourage them and help them in that, but, um, but I would say we're not raising them, Rick, in exactly the way a secular parent would, exactly. even a secular parent who loves their girls I'm not raising them to think they've succeeded if they go to an Ivy League institution and they then, you know, take on $260,000 of debt to be a doctor or something or whatever, and then they've succeeded because then I can have an impressive child to show off on Instagram to my peers. I, I don't, th- those aren't our values. If the Lord has something like that for them, he'll take them there and we'll, we'll praise God for that. But that's, we're, we're raising them also to see, we don't know if they're gonna be single or married, but we're raising them to see that the things of scripture for a godly woman are wonderful things so much to say but that's a stab
0: sure. yeah uh, what I'm trying to do and you've done it is take away the stigma that uh, complementarians uh, have no, see no value in a woman becoming educated or right. trained or yeah exactly yeah um, I was told one time well you don't believe women should go to college but I married a woman who has a degree in Christian Theology from college. So I.
1: Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't that, that is good. Yes. <laughs> she Amen. Is
0: so much smarter than me in so many things that I. Anyway. Amen, another, another man. Um, I asked this a minute ago. I want to come back. Do you think the bigger. Is the bigger failure in the church on the training men's side or the training women's side? Um, or is that a combination, obviously, of the two?
1: yes i 'm always trying to think I was influenced by L in my in my seminary training, and so Moeller was influenced by Carl Henry and Francis Schaeffer, and so Schaeffer and Henry were always juxtaposing Christianity with secular thought. so I always think in those terms I think what the culture's saying, and then i 'm trying to think what the Bible says, so that 's my trajectory, just to be clear but um When you're looking at American society and American culture, feminism, as we say, has had a massive influence. What has the more recent iteration of feminism urged in our time? It's urged um, women to lean in and step forward. In effect, it doesn't say this explicitly, but men to step back and boys to step back. And so a lot of even evangelical churches... Haven't really challenged or countered that spirit. They kind of surf that wave because they don't want to, to bungle the metaphor. Make waves, if you will. Um, so I would say, I would say a lot of men kind of languish today, and they're not really challenged or trained or educated or called to step forward in, in manly ways. Um, a lot of men had that in in football and high school or basketball or baseball. And that was probably the last time somebody really engaged them as a man and called them to a higher standard and told them they could be something greater than they currently are and challenged them. So that, that kind of influence still exists in American culture, but from what I can see, it's by and large in sports. Sports is still kind of a place where you can be a guy or a girl, you know, even in a, just a secular sense, and, and that's a good thing, mm-hmm. although even that's changing, um, The military, of course, would be another culture that still has at least a lot of vestiges of the old ways, that kind of secular complementarian framework, which has some real good to it. Um, But a lot of men don't have a challenge. They don't have a coach. They don't have somebody calling them to to leave their selfishness behind. Or a father
0: in many situations. They don't have a father. Who who are not modeling or instructing that at home.
1: Absolutely. I mean, four out of ten American homes are now without a father, period.
0: Yeah, just stop right there. Did you hear that? Four out of ten American homes don't have a live-in father, at, and that's, that has to have impact downstream.
1: That is the societal catastrophe of them all. <laughs> that's it. And, and, and nobody's working on it that I can see in the political realm, and nobody really talks about it even. Um, but that's, that's, there's so many problems that correlate with that, poverty and, and crime. I mean if you could solve that problem, uh, or at least address it in a major way, you would go a long way to healing so much of what ails us. Mm -hmm. Women, I don't think either have real training in biblical womanhood. I think there's a kind of rah-rah feminist spirit in our culture, um, but I don't think there's a strong push toward what we would call biblical womanhood. So I, I I think the sexes alike are languishing, and I think a lot of young women... Haven't been trained either, just like a lot of young men haven't been trained. A lot of young women have no idea how to get going with being a biblical woman, whether or not, by the way, there's a ring on their finger, mm-hmm. single or married, because you don't become, like like I said in the class, you don't become a biblical man when you get married, uh, when you have kids or something. You don't become a biblical yep. woman when you get married. There's some things that really click into place and are now <laughs> incumbent upon you as duties, but you're, I'm training my son to be a biblical man now. He's seven. I'm training my girls to be biblical women now, ages four and 10. Uh, there aren't a lot of us out there doing that sort of thing, though. That's not a pat on the back as we're some kind of hero. It's just sadly that spirit has dropped out of a lot of our
0: yeah, culture. Yeah, don't you think it's kind of parents become passive rather than assertive in saying this is who God has defined you to be, called you to be, instructed you to be, and expecting them? to to be that way. Uh, yes. I, I, um, you know, I want my sons. We're kind of in the in the twilight years of those raising uh, yeah. moments, uh, being empty nesters. But I want them to prefer a woman and, and open a door. Yes. But, but in talking to them, it's interesting to hear that sometimes that's resisted from the from the women. They simply want to open a door for. Yeah. It's almost offensive. Like you don't think I can open a door? or yeah. So we're l- losing that in the culture. I don't think should influence us to not train it in the church.
1: Absolutely not. We are a counter culture. We are a salt and light people, Matthew 5, 17 to 20. We are not a movement that is trying to be as close to the culture as we can be, but with a Christian twist at the end, a little spritz of Christianity mm. in, our, in our drink. You know, we, we are trying to be, we are trying to be men and women captivated by Christ. We are slaves of Christ we we are owned by god and we have a much higher call than merely being liked by our peers now we pray to speak the truth in love we pray to form good friendships with our coworkers and our neighbors and our peers and our classmates and all these sorts of things we're praying toward that end uh, we're not praying to be as offensive as possible we're praying to be you know as christ like as possible and yet we should just go back to basics, Rick, on, on, even before we start talking about these particular issues. And we should recognize that being called by Christ to be his disciple means that you are already hated by Satan and hated, therefore, by those who follow Satan. This is, this is not Owen Strand's hyped-up version of Christianity. This is Matthew 5. This is, blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you if you are hated for the name of Jesus. And look, some people around us may be fine with us saying, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus, that sort of thing. But the mark is, the target is always shifting with Christians and with Satan. Today, it may, may or may not be controversial to say you're a believer, okay? It may, it may be. But it is certainly controversial to say, I hold to marriage being the lifelong union of a man and a woman. I believe that God himself made men and God himself made women. I do not believe that there is such a category as transgender. I do not believe you should gender bend. I do not believe that that is righteous. I do not believe that homosexuality is allowable in either behavior or even thought. I believe that we should die to our pagan sexual impulses that are coursing through our blood in Adam. I believe these things. I will stand for these things. I am not going To bow the knee to the gods of the age, that the LGBT lobby and its various manifestations standing against that is where you will be hated for righteousness. So, you
0: said something interesting that I think sometimes we underestimate that this is not just a cultural battle, but it's a supernatural one. Yes, he Satan is the prince of the power of the earth, he actually has a delegated dominion, oddly enough, that will be reigned in one day. Yeah, and we. We shouldn't expect that the culture is going to give us standing ovations for biblical values. That's right. right? This is supernatural. This is not. Uh, we're fighting, as Paul says, uh, uh, thoughts and principalities that are not evident and obvious in just the, the public debate. Yes. Um, and the means of grace to dealing with the supernatural, Ephesians six, our godly character, godly living, and.
1: Amen. God, God, I don't think wants fancy Christians. I think He just wants normal. Men and women who are captivated by Christ, saved out of darkness, and then he wants those men and women simply to be a Christian where they are. People say, how, do I, how am I supposed to be a witness at work when, you know, these, these codes could crash down upon my head? I, I, probably it's just a lack of gifting on my part, lack of ingenuity, but I don't have anything in particular that's, I think, brilliant or, you know out of this world to offer them in terms of contextualization how do you crack the contextual code of America or something you know upwardly mobile white collar America I don't know I just know that you should be a Christian wherever you are I know that you should do basic Christian things I know you should buy grace train your kids to be godly men and women I know you should in a restaurant thank God for the meal you know even if people look at you weird for praying you know at at the pizza place, you should do those kind of things. I know you should be kind and filled with the fruits of the Spirit. I know you should, like John the Baptist in Matthew 14, 1 through 12, when people are in sexual sin, you should call that out. You should in 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 speak the truth in love, but you should speak the truth. John the Baptist lost his head over sexual ethics. That was last week's sermon. The forerunner of the Messiah was was killed. Um, because of sexual ethics. So, interesting culture. Sometimes we think of this only
0: from an American perspective. But there are, uh, 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 the edges of the range are manifest other, other places in the stands, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, um, um, uh, moving up into the, into the Mongolia. And those are highly, highly women are chattel, oh. terrible, overly male dominated. Yes. Then you go to Sweden and Europe which is highly egalitarian. So, yes. I don't know that America is in the middle, but we do have to recognize that our cultural fight is not the only cultural fight in the world about these issues, and which is why we have to stay in our lane of the covers of our Bible, yes. not overly responsive to to the. Uh, wow,
1: so so true. I mean, when you see a, a woman in a hijab, you just I just you know mourn that because what does that say about? womanhood and uh, the christian worldview is so different from that the greco-roman culture let's take let's go there for a yep. second first century greco-roman <clears throat> culture ah if our world would just be more secular and less christian it, you know women would be liberated really really uh women in that first century context had almost no rights uh, a husband who caught his wife in adultery for example could, could severely discipline her and even kill her oh. without any legal recourse um women had really no voice uh, you can look at you, you can jump out of that context now you can recognize that there's all sorts of cultures where uh, a man can be married to multiple women at once and they, uh, there are many cultures where uh, men take child brides the, the yep. Islamic cultures that you're talking about and by the way the girls aren't like debating whether they want to enter into this and be the fifth wife of a you know a Muslim man they, they are in it they have no agency so it just bridles me when I hear that the Bible and the Bible's teaching on women is repressive. When you have examples galore of cultures and religions that are absolutely trampling the, the dignity of women and destroying um, the, the agency of women. Christianity teaches an ordered world and teaches an, teaches an ordered church, excuse me, and teaches that there are duties incumbent upon women and, and men, yes, Uh, The the Christ church relationship of Ephesians five built off the Genesis three relationship of Adam and Eve, Genesis two relationship of Adam and Eve. And yet we should just recognize, yes, there are some hard words for us in the Bible regarding men's and women's roles and issues and these sorts of things. But wow, compare biblical Christianity (laughs) on these matters to uh, an Islamic context um, to a... Post-Christian sec- European... Post-Christian European yeah. context to America, which has left behind vestiges of a traditional Christian worldview in some sense. And now, what's happening in America? Is, is everybody happy now that the biblical ethic is largely defeated in the public square? No. Four out of ten homes have no father. Uh, we have this massive Me Too movement, which happens to have coincided with the rise of secular <laughs> sexual ethics. Men aren't restrained. Men aren't in churches. Um, the sexes work together you know without any regulation really they take business trips together and spend all sorts of time together and there's no there's no distinctions and and that has had massive effect on our culture we're in an abortion culture we have 60 million children aborted why because of a a pagan sexual ethic that does not teach that children are the natural result of marriage, but teaches that you can have sex with anyone you want at any time, and that's just, oh, that's unbounded pleasure, and it just happens to have resulted in 60, in part, 60 million abortions. So, all this to say, Rick, when I look at different cultures and societies that have rejected in various forms Christianity, I am not seeing some sort of happy garden of flourishing humanity. I'm seeing chaos and destruction.
0: Right. In just a few minutes, um, Adam and Myral, if you have a question you want to ask, we're just going to have a few minutes at the end. Uh, I have more than I can answer here, but I, I want to be specific if you have them, Okay, a couple of uh, thin ice, no one wants to go there questions that we can talk about. I won't put you on the spot if you have to. Um, Titus 2, women are to be workers at home. Is, does that command preclude a woman from having any kind of remunerated employment outside of her home?
1: I don't think so. Um. Now, we read Proverbs 31 in light of sure. Titus 2, so let that be said, New Covenant being normative of the old. And yet, we do see that a woman has, has great agency in the Christian home, in the believing home, if we're talking about Proverbs 31. So I think what, what Titus 2 is really calling a woman to is to, if, um, if God gives her that gift of a husband and children especially, to see the home as, as her vocation, really, to create a flourishing thriving home and that takes place in all sorts of ways again that are not compensated and do not result in a 401k and you know <laughs> two weeks of vacation a year there's basically no, no more vacation. So, there's there's, no, there's almost no more self-sacrificial calling than this calling so there, there are some areas where I think a woman can contribute even if she has um, even if she has children if, if she and her husband sorry if she and her husband desire to do that but um, I think a lot of godly women are going to say it's a Joy and a gift to have a husband who just takes provision upon his back uh, as much as is possible, and then um, and she's freed up to sure. th- to to do to to raise the children and and make the home, so to speak. And I think that's what Titus two is calling for. I do think she's got she's got some ways she can contribute, and then especially as the, the kids get older, there's all sure. sorts of gray areas to talk. Change before
0: about. you have children, if you're unable to have children. Right. It's interesting that. Feminism has made us instead of looking at women to be workers at home, they change the question. Uh, they say, "Well, uh, no, that's women." The Bible says that women cannot work outside the home. It doesn't say that. No, but it does say the priority should be at home. And if a man, Paul to Timothy, will not work, need let him eat. In other words, he exactly. is to be the, the the provider. And you you mentioned this. There are there are exceptions to that. You know, your husband's in grad school, and you're it's yeah. The, there are some footnotes in that on, on, on pragmatic, but the general trajectory ought to be, even if you have to live at a lower standing of, standard of living, um, that you find these roles
1: as normative in your home. And nothing freezes 21st century American blood like living at a lower standard. You know, <laughs> I mean, oh, we're not, you know, super prosperous. Oh, no. Yeah, but that's not the way Christian families <clears throat> have lived over the centuries. I mean, we are living in opulence and luxury compared to what basically everybody in human history has lived like with the exception of kings. Um, we, we, the, the creature comforts and conveniences we have boggle the mind. It is such an honorable thing when a very gifted woman does not choose to squander or waste her gifts. Never let those words be said in a Christian home. To funnel and channel her gifts for the good of her husband, her home, and the, the immortal souls that God would give her if God gives her that gift, that blessing. Um, she's not wasting
0: anything. Amen.
1: Let it be said here if it is said nowhere else, and God will richly reward every second of investment that woman makes in her home. And a man, I believe, fundamentally glorifies the Lord when he shirks off A lazy spirit, a boyish spirit. It's not that video games are inherently sinful or something, but he says, you know what? I'm playing way too much Call of Duty right now uh, at my age. Right. Uh, Way too much FIFA, (laughs) and I need to just chuck this. I need to zero in on this wife that God has given me. I need to love her well in a self-sacrificial way. I need to raise these children well and I am going to put provision on my back. And that may mean that we make $25,000 less a year. It may mean we take fewer vacations. It may mean we do not live in the neighborhood we would love to live in. It may mean that the countertops are quartz instead of granite. But this is worth it because we, it's very scary, because we are are doing something better and bigger and much, much more God-glorifying than simply trying to have a nice home We are trying to honor God and image his glory in a world that denies him. And we are trying to raise precious souls. These children will live for eternity. They will live for eternity in either heaven or hell. How could we ever think we would be wasting our gifts to shepherd
0: their precious souls? I had a woman, not in this church, when I was in California, sit in my office in tears basically saying i just figured out that i am working in order to make money to pay daycare to raise my children and she saw that cycle and said what what am i what am right. i doing i'm right. i'm working so that i can have someone else be paid to raise my kids and, right. she's, and it, the way that it came up to her is, uh, her uh, at daycare her uh, her child uh, fell and Pretty serious uh, gash on the knee, got stitches. Mm. And um, Mm. the conversation later was, I wish you had been there to kiss it, mommy. It was the daycare who did that. So I'm not trying to sentimentalize us to death, but that's a significant question. Who is raising, you know, the children? Um, So I I just want to be clear. I've, I've been asked multiple times since the series, well, is Owen or is our church saying that a woman can't work? No one's ever said that. Mm-mm. But we have said what the Bible says, which is she should be enough of a worker at home where it's a priority. And the husband and the children are her primary ministry mm-hmm. in, in the focus of her life.
1: And just a gentle, gentle pushback on even the idea that, not you, but that a woman, can a woman work? <laughs> yep. My wife works. Oh my <laughs> Your wife worked and works. I mean, um, let's just think this through. What does a godly woman... Um, who is who has this calling? You know, kids in the home. What does she do on an hourly or minute-by-minute minute basis? She is working. She is not earning a wage unless you and your husband have a particularly strange marital relationship.
0: <laughs> she's she gets an allowance for
1: dishes. Not have that. She doesn't have a 401k, right? She is working. My wife makes three scratch meals a day for these kids. She currently homeschools them. She um, makes the house look beautiful. She's very good at that. Um, she soothes wounds. She uh, teaches the truth. She negotiates conflicts and, and doles out settlements to all parties that hopefully leave them satisfied. I mean, the, the things this woman does on a daily basis in work boggle the mind. Oh, yeah. And again, it's all God glorifying. It's not to say there is any... A Spursion cast on a woman who, you know, in in one of these seasons, for example, you know, says, well, my husband is struggling at work. I've seen this in my own background, by the way, Rick, me personally. A woman who who says, I got to pick up with, I got to help. And and so I got to earn a wage at this point in time, and I'm going to help. I've seen that, and that's honorable. Um, But I just want to challenge, you know, the idea that a woman is not working if she is not earning 50K a year. It's It's just bonkers. I'm sorry. Now, it's a formal technical term. In the, theology. The, the
0: one always caveat that I'm always asked is, "What if?" Because uh, I'm imagining this this gal who's single. Do, does she just sit around and just wait, or right. can she go to school? Can she be educated? And I've I've always encouraged them, until the Lord changes yes. that trajectory. Man, glorify God and what your what your interests are. And totally. Be educated and totally do what you want to do.
1: Yes. I would say just make sure that you're not falling into a secular mindset where the goal is all the things we've been talking about. Your goal is to be a biblical woman, but you have, Im- you have immense freedom, frankly. If, if, if you are praying to be married and that has not happened, and I know that's a fair number of women perhaps even here and, and certainly in the broader evangelical movement mm-hmm. because things have changed in evangelicalism and, and even in the church, even in good churches, there's not always that marriage culture built up. And, there's, and by the way, beyond that, issue, real issue. There's also just life is challenging for all of us, and sometimes it's much more delayed. Marriage can be much more delayed than we would like it to be, and it's hard for us, and there's years of, of frankly, some, some loneliness and that sort of thing. I experienced this in my early 20s, and, and, uh, and so I have much compassion for that. Um, but yeah, you have a lot of freedom, and I would say enjoy that freedom, you know, enjoy. First
0: Corinthians 7. Yeah. glorify the Lord in ways you won't be able to once you're you're married. So.
1: That's right. Um, but there's not, there's not shame to be heaped upon women who are praying to be married or, or once marriage happens, who are praying to be mothers. Yep. And, and, and that's a different thing. And there's the, the struggles of getting pregnant. It seems very prevalent today, uh, especially. And so if we have much compassion I agree. for women in Completely. those places. And that's part of why in my tiny little corner of things, I try to call young men to saddle up and, uh, and, and obey God's call and not let these women languish. But frankly, women, a lot of, most men and women are called to marriage. And I'm trying to be a humble, tiny little voice for saying, let's get married. So he let's said not it, overthink I not single
0: guys, but I just want you to know, amen, amen, and amen. All right, we got just about five or seven minutes here. You guys have a question, a follow-up um, that you want to want to ask? I have, a, I have more questions if you don't. Chris.
2: Hey, I've um, drawn the conclusion after looking and, and talking to particularly young couples that are looking to get married or just recently married the part of the practical pushback that we see from the um, feminist movement uh, it, it is very practical sometimes it, it, but, I, but I feel like it's it, the practical part of it has come because there are so few men leaders or men that have been trained to be leaders mm-hmm. that even women that are looking for that um, you know they do get the boyish video game player that won't step up and doesn't connect with the kids and things like that. And guess what? Um, it, it does prove itself to not work, right? I mean, that's essentially what I've seen. So I I wondered if, 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 if you would draw the same conclusion that, that a lot of the, the fallout that we've seen here is because men haven't been trained to lead. And even the women that want to follow, it goes disastrously sometimes because of, of that doesn't mean that they shouldn't, doesn't mean that they can't help be a part of that. But I just, am I overstating that? Or how, how do we, how do we look at that? because I'm looking at my boys, I'm even looking at my 19-year-old daughter saying, please, don't find a boy, you know, find a man. Yes. Um, but, but it is hard to follow if men aren't trained, right? Is that, is this, is this a good... Well, uh,
0: let me have you, uh, it's a great question, Chris. Go back to a word you used about 10 times. It's values. Mm. It's owning biblical values and instilling biblical values where these aren't surprises, right? So maybe yes. you can flesh answer it from that standpoint.
1: Yes. Uh, <clears throat> the deal is, Chris, I think you're dead right. A lot of men and women alike have not been trained to see these roles that we've tried to sketch out in this class as good. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they're in a solid church, they've been trained in some form that these roles exist. But there are few churches out there that show and, and make the case for seeing manhood and womanhood as gateways of joy. <laughs> This is, this is going to bring joy to you if you pursue maturity as a man. This is going to bring joy to you if you pursue maturity as a woman, biblically defined. This is, this is the gateway to glory right here. This isn't just what you should do. No, this is, this is it. This is flourishing. This is thriving. I really feel for people on both sides because I don't think women are trained to have a submissive, gentle, and quiet spirit, 1 Peter 3, 4 in a lot of contexts, and that is very hard in a marriage, mm-hmm. a young marriage. And I certainly don't think, as you've heard me say, young men are trained today to be a assertive, appropriately assertive, um, strong in the right way, self-denying, mature man. Our culture is training men to be boys, to think that, it's a Peter Pan, man, to think that staying a boy forever is the good. And what I I try to say is that maturing is good. Be a glutton for maturity, both sexes. Those dynamics, by the way, are present not just in American, weird, post-Bible culture. Those sinful dynamics of a woman not following a man, not wanting to follow a man, and a man not wanting to lead a wife well, that's Genesis 3. That's eternal uh, following the, the curse, and it will continue until Christ makes it right. So we have a lot of work to do, though, because... A lot of the training that used to happen, I think, to to urge men and women alike into those roles has collapsed. So that's going to mean that we need a church like this, a local church, to be a counterculture where we train about these things. Um, So I just have a question. How should we think about women
2: running for office? Just I know that is... On a huge rise. I've seen different pastors talk about it. You know, some pastors will use Deborah as an example. And then I've heard other pastors, I cannot remember the reference, but talk about, there's some passage where like the culture is in sin and disarray, that women rise up as leaders in the culture. So just how to think about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Isaiah 3.12 is that passage that you mentioned that says that women shall lead them of to Israel's shame, mm-hmm. referring to the nation of Israel in particular uh, in Isaiah's context. Um, I think it's fundamentally God-glorifying, even in a secular sense, that men step, step up and lead. I think even in a secular sense, you want the home to be strong, and so you're hoping that women will follow the call to love their children and be at home. But I don't have a biblical New Testament verse that says a woman shall not be president or something like this. It's possible. There may be other things that you're seeing in a culture, in a society, when men are not stepping into positions of leadership. So I actually, if if, if I'm praying for a godly society, uh, uh, that's not a good term, a, uh, a biblically influenced society. society, I want men to be stepping up and I want women to be freed to uh, to to love the home and kids, but, but we don't, uh, you know, if, if a woman becomes president, I don't have a precise Bible verse that says that's wrong or yeah. something.
0: Yeah, I, I, can I add just a quick footnote? Um, I, I think we're ask, answering two questions. A woman in general in political office is a different question than a Christian woman's target and goal. So I, I'm going to ask a different question of a Christian woman who has that as her aspiration than I will, you know, someone who's a conservative who I may be happy to vote for. Over, a, over someone who's liberal.
1: Yeah. Luke. Um, so can you give us some practical, maybe implications or practical uh, examples of how to develop some of those character qualities for men and women too um, mm. on, on how to develop you know, uh, skills to lead well and, or a woman to submit well or even just the hard characteristics of humility and, mm. and um, hmm. kindness, things like that.
0: You're looking at me. <laughs> you know, there, there, there's no short answer to that, Luke. Uh, what Owen said, I couldn't agree with anymore. With, we have three sons. Uh, God decided that I could not raise daughters. Uh, and <laughs> it's in in providence. Uh, I, um, we've talked a lot about that. Just, there, all the godly characteristics you get. But two things that stand out that I think are biblical, but maybe not book, chapter, verse, are teaching men to take and own risk, and to solve problems. Uh-huh. If, if you ask my sons, I, I'm looking at, I just caught eyes with John. I probably said to them more times than any other phrase in their whole lives, solve the problem. Men solve the problem. Mm. And I don't know that I would have always, I want women to know how to solve problems. But I think in any context, that's, that's common grace leadership that God has given a man. To see, assess, take a risk, calculate a risk, not stupid risk. Um, you know, and uh, this is not the time to go off on that, but I see people with little boys discouraging risk. Don't walk on the wall, you might fall. You know, uh, d- d- don't, don't do this, you might get hurt. You, you want to be reasonable, obviously. But I think that push, you said this, I think, when you were doing the men, challenging men to be risk takers, calculated risk takers and owners, that's where leadership in the body of Christ and in the home ultimately lands even as as the head of my home it's usually calculated risk and solving problems now i do that in concert with my wife her her counsel is invaluable um but in raising my sons those are two things that kind of scooped up a lot of biblical data and example into two kind of targets
1: that's really good and i would say Somebody who's hearing this series, who hasn't had training, and who sees it reflected in Scripture, because it's not my teaching or anyone else's teaching, it's the Bible, should feel absolute freedom to go hard in these areas. Even if no one has trained you in this, even if you haven't had teaching, even if you don't presently have a godly father, if you're a guy or a godly mother, if you're a woman to look to as your example, you do not need somebody to tap you on the shoulder and give you permission Uh, two years from now, to be a godly man or a godly woman. You need to go to Scripture, and then you need to pray for that kind of character, and you need to strip your life of whatever is weighing you down and keeping you from being a godly man or a woman. You need to pursue maturity, both sexes. You need to pursue maturity in these appropriate ways. Um, I, I had a point in college where I was playing video games too much. I was a typical 21st century college student, guy college student playing much too much video games, and I was convicted of it, and I remember distinctly taking my CD, it was NBA Live 1998, I think, and I snapped it in half, and it was a moment for me where I was saying, not that playing a video game is sinful, but I was saying to myself, this is basically enslaving me, and it is keeping me from the most important things, and I am done, I am done. I need to to grow up, I really do. Those kind of dramatic, drastic actions, I think. A lot of times we coddle ourselves today. Grace, you know, it's okay that you're broken. And frankly, God's grace is infinite, and we are sinners, and we desperately need it. But grace, again, does not coddle us. Grace challenges us. So I would just say, there's so much to say. It's a great question. I would say we should hear the call of Christ to maturity, to responsibility, and not to coddle ourselves but to break with sinful habits. And that will be potently evangelistic and potently doxological God-glorifying among brothers and sisters.
0: Yeah, and Luke, I would encourage you, if you, I don't know your family, if you've seen that at home, model it, I mean, imitate your dad. But if you haven't, that's why we have discipleship. That's why the church has relationships where we learn these things. I had a great dad, a great mom who divorced when I was uh, just out of high school and had a lot of, lot of issues. I, I, I learned so many things from them, but I didn't learn godly marriage from them. I had to look elsewhere. And by God's grace, I had a church, you know, that I could, that yes. I could, I could look to. So that's, that's why we do discipleship. Ultimately, by the way, on masculinity, the p- place to look is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's the perfect masculine man. Mm. And masculinity means you're not a boy. And you're not a woman. Mm. So it means your maturity and masculinity. So when you put those two together, they're perfectly in Christ. So we should, even as looking at Mark, how is Jesus the great man? I think men have, have an application of looking at Christ that even women don't. Um, there are other and deeper implications for them. Right. But we can look to the God man and see that's what masculinity is. Maybe one more.
1: And can I say while we're waiting on that, just super fast, as men rise and leave behind boyishness, women will thrive. Ah, to, to answer this question you have, you've asked me in different forms. As men step up and stop heeding a culture that is telling them to stay boys forever, women will, will thrive as well. So men have a, have a role there to...
0: Agreed. Yeah. Last one. Is
1: this me? Um... I know that Galatians 3 is sort of the
0: cornerstone verse of the egalitarian believers, if you will, the those that believe in that. Um, <clears throat> what do they do with the other verses, you know, that talk about women shouldn't have authority over men, women shouldn't teach in the church? Do they simply ignore them? Uh, do they just... Obviously, they misinterpret them if they, right. if they even go to that. And then uh, just a, a comment. It was interesting in reading recently uh, after your series that uh, the very first
1: um, instruction that David gave to Solomon was to be a man. Mm-hmm. Yes. Learn to be a man. So. Amen. Um, egalitarians do a number of things. In Ephesians 5, where Paul's about to teach that the man's the head of the wife, um, they're going to say that in Ephesians 5.21, Paul calls for mutual submission, um, and Paul does use that language, but what Paul is not saying is that husband and wife alike submit to each other, then to only six verses later say wives submit to husbands. That doesn't make any sense. What Paul is saying in Ephesians 5.21 is that I'm about to lay out authority-submission relationships Obey these, follow Submit these. Submit to your role. Submit to your role. Follow your role um, as I'm about to define it in 5. <laughs> and then in, in First Timothy, so that's Ephesians 5, one of the major texts. and In, a, in, a, in a First Timothy 2, there's different things egalitarians will do. Some of them will say that that's first century. It's contextual. They culturize it. Yep. They culturize it. So there are these problems that are popping up in the first century that Paul is handling. We don't have those problems now. Where uh, the, the viewpoint you're getting in this church, the, the principle, the belief uh, held by our pastor and by me is that um, these are words for all time. And, and that's, of course, grounded in creation order in 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15.
0: Yeah, Chuck, you and I have talked about this. There's a, we, if we want to say it's culture, it's interesting because the, diff, the, the time difference between Paul and Adam and Eve is, is greater and a bigger cultural distance than between him and us. Hmm. So it's built on the creative order, not on, you know, well, Greco Roman society. So it's. That's right.